Welcome to the Book Pile Surprise episode. We didn't tell you the name of this episode because it sounds so boring and we were worried you'd skip, but it's actually really fun. <laughs> it's the Oxford Book of Aphorisms. All right, here we go. <laughs> Hey everyone, philosophers invented aphorisms because they know we don't read their books, but we'll read a tweet. <laughs> and this is The Book Pile. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and as Heraclitus said, war is the father of all things. <laughs> I'm not sure how that applies, but I just thought it was cool that me and war are both fathers. <laughs> and I'm David Vance. <laughs> I'm always trying to say clever things, hoping they end up in a book of aphorisms. But then a wish is only a dream you put in a cage. <laughs> All right. If you want to see me live, I'm going to be at Wise Guys in downtown Salt Lake City, December 9th through the 10th. Also, I'll be in Dallas, Texas the following week, December 16th through the 17th. Go to KellenErskine.com for tickets. Finally, our next two books are The Spy Who Came In From The Cold and Mistborn, if we can finish it in time. We're trying to pander to the Sanderson crowd, but man, it's long. <laughs> my experience with this book, this is probably one of my all-time favorite books. Not that it's like a page turner, but it has just given me so many different ideas and mental models that change the way I think or change the way I approach life. I really enjoyed it, which is something I've never said about a book that uh, had this much Nietzsche in it. <laughs> but I would argue that it, it at least was a page turner for me and that it was a very easy read. Mm -hmm. I know, Dave, you mentioned before I read it that maybe 80% of the quotes were fine and the remaining 20 were fantastic, which I agree with, and which I'm sure the guy who put this book together would love to hear <laughs> after he combed through tens of thousands of these <laughs> to find what he thought were all the best ones. But even with the like four out of five misses, these thoughts are just so brief yeah. that you get to the hits pretty rapidly. For me, it was like shooting a machine gun while galloping on a horse. I don't know what you did for your honeymoon. <laughs> hey. But like... <laughs> If you did that, your grouping is going to be really bad, but you'll still hit plenty of geese birds. I've never actually been hunting. <laughs> if hunting were like that, we would all for sure do it. <laughs> it's humane. You miss all the geese. <laughs> and if you don't, you just convince yourself that that was the one that bit you in third grade. <laughs> it's weird that it survived and became all 50 of these dead geese. <laughs> But isn't that a little like life? <laughs> Speaking of which, without any further ado, here are four lessons that we took from the Oxford Book of Aphorisms. All right. Lesson one. Here are some aphorisms. I'm going to start with the one I think about the most often. Cesare Pavisi says, It is a mistake to think one can perform an action or behave in a certain way once and no more. What one does, one will do again. Not a joke. I think of that every time I consider peeing in the shower just this once. <laughs> I'm so warm and comfortable, but I'm like, no, this would become a habit. <laughs> but I, I think that's a good quote for any time you think you can do a bad thing just this once. Hold on. <laughs> I also think it's funny that you think peeing in the shower is a bad thing. <laughs> it really is more sanitary. To me, I just think of it as an enclosed self-cleaning bathroom floor. <laughs> 
I know that technically the water should wash everything down, but I also wouldn't stick my feet in a urinal. <laughs> okay. I, I can see that we're going to have to agree to disagree on a few <laughs> things today. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the beauty of philosophy. <laughs> Next, here's one from Voltaire, if you hate politics. There has never been a perfect government because men have passions, and if they did not have passions, there would be no need for government. Mm. <laughs> Next one, Henri Beck says, what makes equality such a difficult business is that we only want it with our superiors. <laughs> it's like how in America, we want equality, but if you made the world equal, 90% of Americans would get poorer. <laughs> We'd be like, okay, so when I said... <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a funny quote, but my takeaway is just as important as sharing the pie is making the pie as big as possible without destroying the world. <laughs> this next one is from Arthur Helps. Remember that in giving any reason at all for refusing, you lay some foundation for a future request. Mm. We all do this. You know when you get a party invite you don't want, so you say you have a doctor's appointment. Then the host calls back like, I changed the date to work with your doctor's appointment. And you're like, ah, crap. <laughs> That's why Greg McEwen says, don't give a reason, just say no. <laughs> and the other side of it is, when Kellen and I write ad scripts, sometimes an executive doesn't think your script is funny, but they think that's rude to say. So they give a different reason, like, is it too offensive? So you spend hours making it less offensive, and that's not even their problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten better at telling when they're lying to me, and I try to give them this look that says, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about our ad writing process uh, with another one of these quotes, because what we'll do at these writing meetings is that there will be like three or four writers, and each of us will pitch a script, and ultimately the client has to choose one. Mm -hmm. But especially when I first started doing this, it hurt my ego way too much. So I would try and justify to everyone in the room why mine was better. <laughs> so in retrospect, it should have been obvious in the writing. Uh -huh. There's a quote in this book from Sir Henry Taylor who says, a dignity which has to be contended for is not worth a quarrel. <laughs> and the end of it is, and no man's dignity can be asserted without being impaired, which is definitely like, no, please, please respect me. <laughs> respect me, he groveled. <laughs> I remember one time my friend Winston was being teased for something and he said, yeah, I just have to go along with this, don't I? Mm. And this light bulb went on for me where I was like, oh, you can respond like that to teasing? <laughs> <laughs> and here I've been trying lengthy footnoted rebuttals. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. T.S. Eliot says, success is relative. It is what we can make of the mess we have made of things. Hmm. All right, lesson two. To sound smart, you don't have to memorize the quote, just the author. <laughs> also, to sound smart, never let anyone know that you listen to advice about sounding smart. <laughs> I think that we place way too much emphasis on memorization in school. It's such a yeah. bizarre method of teaching because the real world is mostly an open book test. Mm -hmm. And listen to me, I sound like I belong in this book. Like, if you're a scientist working on a research paper, there aren't going to be other scientists around you like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> you can't look it up. You could only use what you've learned by heart. <laughs> 
I do think that there are a select few professions where you just don't have the time to look up information because of the nature of the job, like a surgeon or a drug dealer on a busy street. Can you imagine the air traffic controller where a pilot's like, we got no fuel and we're coming in hot toward a cargo plane that has no idea. And the air traffic guy is like, oh man, hold on. I'm, I'm flipping through the manual now. <laughs> Did you say you're coming in hot? <laughs> Hot, hot. Yeah, no, sorry. A comedian podcaster told me I didn't need to memorize everything. So, <laughs> Anyway, I do think that a helpful thing to memorize is the author of any aphorism you share, even if you don't get the quote right. Just the fact that you knew who said it is what's going to be impressive to the aristocrat you're sharing it with. I don't know what kind of parties you go to. Just a slice of my life. Hold on just a second. What's that? Oh, it'll probably be another 20, 30 minutes. But it's one. I know it's one already. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We just went a little later. It's okay. Hold on. Just give me, <laughs> give me a minute. Here. You have to include this in the episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a little behind the scenes commentary on this moment. I hope everyone could appreciate the absolute perfect timing of my cute six-year-old interrupting the podcast the moment I had said, just a slice of my life. Anyway, after I left the podcast here for five minutes to be a great dad and apologizing to a small child, I returned to the mic. <laughs> and I get out of here. I'm making jokes about airplanes. <laughs> anyway, back to us. Uh, <laughs> memorize the author, not necessarily the quote. For example, when you're in public, you could say something like, it's like what they say, without self-confidence, we're babes in a cradle. Or you could say something like, that reminds me of Marcel Proust when he said something like, people don't die for us immediately, it's more like they're traveling abroad. Did I just impress you, Dave? <laughs> yes. Uh, another example, you could say, I forget where I heard this, but... A man with a career can have no time to waste upon his wife and friends. He has to devote it wholly to his enemies. <laughs> that was Taylor Swift. <laughs> or you could walk into a ballroom, grab a champagne off a butler's tray, and let it spill confidently onto the floor as you exclaim, As Volvanarge said, The things we know are the things we haven't been taught. You take a swig, throw the glass over your shoulder, and everyone's going to be like, Is that some sort of superhero professor? But I... I chose that quote because it means nothing. <laughs> like, it's one of those quotes that, while I was reading this, I put in the category of just a bunch of words put together. All right, lesson three, miscellaneous. For this next one, <laughs> Kellen can tell you I sometimes like telling him bad news. Because you know how if I talk about how the world is bad, it means that I am good and also smart? <laughs> Landor says, we must not indulge in unfavorable views of mankind, since by doing it, we make bad men believe that they are no worse than others, and we teach the good that they are good and vain. <laughs> you know the personality type on Twitter? They can't wait to tell you gleefully that, like, Malala got me too'd. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? What's your goal? <laughs> she didn't, by the way. <laughs> this one's from Vovinag. Men sometimes feel injured by praise because it assigns a limit to their merit. 
Have you ever been <laughs> insulted by a compliment because you didn't think it was good enough? <laughs> I don't know why I'm asking, Kellen. I know you have. <laughs> Well, I also look at the end, uh, the other end of this. There's certain things you don't want to be praised at because it isn't merit to you. When mm-hmm. I was when I was pursuing comedy, but also several years into a water softening job, uh, my boss at one point said, "You know what, Kellen? You're already going from a good water treatment technician." to becoming a great one. <laughs> I was just like, ugh, like seeing my whole future ahead of me. Like, I don't even want to be a good one. <laughs> I hope your boss knew that that was just what you needed to pursue comedy. <laughs> Here's an idea that used to boggle my mind as a kid from Andre Gide. There might very well be nothing, nor anyone, no one to notice that there is nothing and to consider that natural. But that there is something, I shall never cease being amazed at this. Another thing that amazes me is that 14 billion years ago in the Big Bang, there were quarks and gluons with unfathomable heat at the dawn of existence, never dreaming one day they would be part of a Cheeto. (laughs) (laughs) Last one from Oscar Wilde. The tragedy of old age is not that one is old, but that one is young. And I wonder if when you're old, you don't feel old, you just feel like a young person in an old person's body. Mm -hmm. Because right now I tell myself, yeah, I'm still young. I'm like a few years out of college. And then I go to a college and I'm like, but who are these children? (laughs) (laughs) Also, you have arthritis. (laughs) That was a joke might sound harsh, but I started going bald when I was 19. So, (laughs) All right. Lesson four. Take aphorisms with two to ten grains of salt. This is also how I sell cocaine. Uh, (laughs) As I read this book, I found myself creating new categories and populating them as they came up. I'll go through some of my favorites. The first category is simply called truth. Jobert said, to teach is to learn twice. I love this. I found it to be true in my experiences. And also from now on, it'll sound less harsh if I rephrase that other aphorism as those who cannot do learn twice. (laughs) There's another one. How comes it that our memories are good enough to retain even the minutest details of what has befallen us, but not to recollect how many times we've recounted them to the same person? (laughs) It's so true. So relatable. I've actually had this happen with Dave. Uh, I've told Dave just in regular conversation, like, if you find me repeating a story that I've already told you, feel free to interrupt and let me know. And it's happened a couple of times, and both times, it still really hurt my feelings. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a different version of that where I was talking with my brother, Ben, And he started expressing one of his ideas to me. And I said, Ben, that's my idea. You heard it from my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) The next category I called something that feels true. So for me, it's when something can't logically be proven or it's just plain abstract, but rings of truth. Elizabeth Bibesco in Haven says, death is a part of this life and not the next. Hmm. Um, It's another one from one of uh, Ronald Furbank's novels. Quote, the world is disgracefully managed. One hardly knows to whom to complain. 
<laughs> I love this. And I, I would say, though, that through the centuries, when people don't know who to blame for big problems, their default is the president. <laughs> the next category I've called speak for yourself. Mark Twain says, when people do not respect us, we are sharply offended. Yet deep down in his heart, no man much respects himself. And I was like, I mean, yeah, Mark, maybe it's true for me and you, but don't spread that around. <laughs> Italo Svevo said, one need only remind oneself of all that we expect from life to see how very strange it is and to arrive at the conclusion that man has found his way into it by mistake and does not really belong there. This whole thought to me really has this tone of, am I right? <laughs> it sounds like a fatalist trying stand up for the first time. Also, he starts a quote with, you only need to remind yourself. And it's like, maybe try not reminding yourself. <laughs> Here's one from Goth. You can never get rid of what is a part of you, even if you throw it away. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. Tell that to my appendix. <laughs> May it burn in hell. Next category. When was this ever applicable? So there are a few thoughts uh, scattered throughout this book where it's like, I, I'm not sure why any of this was necessary. First up, life is a great bundle of little things. All right, man. Uh, next one. <laughs> To save a man's life against his will is the same as killing him. <laughs> but you know, different. It's like, thanks, I'll remember this the next time I'm in a Chili's, some guy's choking on his fajita, but he also seems reluctant for me to help. <laughs> to save him would be to kill him. And this last category, I mentioned it before, I called just a bunch of words put together. <laughs> this was my favorite one from that. Quote, what are the facts? Not those in Homer, Shakespeare, or even the Bible. The facts for most of us are a dark street, crowds, hurry, commonplaces, loneliness, and worst of all, a terrible doubt which can hardly be named as to the meaning and purpose of this world. <laughs> It's just an example of one of those sentences where, like, I don't know, maybe if we all tried to analyze it for an hour in class, we'd figure out its profundity. But also, I don't want to spend the time. <laughs> this is called Your College Freshman Child Asked You for Feedback on Their Poetry. <laughs> yeah. It really is like that theoretical experiment of you give a million monkeys a million typewriters and one of them will write Romeo and Juliet. And it's like, no, if any words came out, it would just be this quote. <laughs> Poetry is a genre that I love. I love the great poets. But as a genre, it has for sure brought more suffering than joy into the world just by sheer volume of terrible teenage poets. <laughs> All right, random facts. I really love this book. I got a ton out of it. But I sort of wish I could ask the author, so like, did any women say anything good? Or <laughs> or like anyone from China? Or <laughs> Yeah, it's like when he was about to publish it, he was like, hold on. And he just flipped open to a random page and scribbled in something from Virginia Woolf. And he's yeah. like, there we go, diversity. <laughs> 
I'll quote George Eliot because she at least has a man's name. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of the author or curator of this book, his name is John Gross. My favorite how did you two meet story a man and a woman a guy had this last name they they were at a business conference and not even trying to be funny just having lived a, a whole life with this name where i'm sure it loses its meaning once you've written it down a million times his name tag said hi i'm gross <laughs> and they both laughed and i guess she was like <laughs> Give that surname to me and my kids forever. (laughs) Rapid fire, here are some of my favorite aphorisms in the book with no commentary. Before doing someone a favor, make sure that he isn't a madman. No tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. To do just the opposite is also a form of imitation. In order to compose, all you need to do is remember a tune that no one else has thought of. A man should never be ashamed to own that he has been in the wrong, which is but saying, in other words, that he is wiser today than he was yesterday. Mm. Nothing is more dangerous than an idea when a man has only one idea. (laughs) It is of no avail to weep for the loss of a loved one, which is why we weep. Mm. The tyrant grinds down his slaves and they don't turn against him. They crush those beneath them. Oh, that was Bronte. A woman. (laughs) It is only the poor who are forbidden to beg. Hmm. Not every end is a goal. The end of a melody is not its goal. But nonetheless, if the melody had not reached its end, it would not have reached its goal either. A parable. It may be that the stars of heaven appear fair and pure simply because they are so far away from us and we know nothing of their private life. (laughs) Yeah, I think I would enjoy Instagram a lot more if all the pictures were... 50 light years away. (laughs) A hen is only an egg's way of making another egg. (laughs) I thought this quote was funny, not meaning to be. This is Charles Baudelaire. He says, Prizes bring bad luck. Academic prizes, prizes for virtue, decorations, all these inventions of the devil encourage hypocrisy and freeze a spontaneous upsurge of a free heart. I love this quote about not receiving big prizes, especially after reading on Wikipedia that after the death of Baudelaire's stepfather, Charles received uh, nothing in his will. (laughs) Well, wait, I thought he had to come of age, and in the meantime, Olaf was his guardian. (laughs) All right, to recap, our favorite lessons from the Oxford Book of Aphorisms. One, here are some aphorisms. Two, to sound smart, you don't have to memorize the quote, just the author. Three, miscellaneous. Four, take aphorisms with two to ten grains of salt. And five, I'm just coming up with this off the top of my head. Uh, I just think that if your body were to be put at the disposal of a stranger, you'd certainly be (laughs) indignant. Then aren't you ashamed of putting your mind at the disposal of chance acquaintances by allowing yourself to be upset if he happens to abuse it? have traveled the stars to have experienced nuclear fusion and then what are you now a gogurt (laughs) 